right here at the tower. Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11? We'll begin in chapter 11, and then we'll make our way over to chapter 12 of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. Today we're going to speak on the subject of the mistake of David. The mistake of David. Like you and like me, he made many mistakes. But unlike us, his mistakes were recorded in the Bible. But there's grace for him and there's grace for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us a word, for giving us your word. Thank you that we're not left without revelation. Thank you that when we read the Bible, when we hear the Bible preached and taught, we're introduced to your mind, to your will, to your nature, to your way, to your plan. Thank you. And now, Lord, as we come to the preaching hour, help me to preach and teach your word. Thank you that you've empowered me to do so. And thank you that you want your people to have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church and to each one of us right now. I pray, Lord God, that we'll hear about grace in a way that is transformative for us. Be with those who are not here but wanted to be here. Encourage those, Lord, who are watching online. And when we get this word, may we go out and share this word. Because we're called not just to hear it and do it, but we're also called to proclaim it. So help us to deliver this word, pieces of it, portions of it, first and foremost from the scriptures, before we even talk about my insights on these texts. Be very careful to give you the praise for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. We learned last week that David had a father wound. His father Jesse wounded him as a young man. We also learned last week that David not only had a father wound, but he also had a mother wound. We don't know his mother's name. She does not speak up for him or on his behalf. This young man was wounded to the degree where he said in Psalm 27, verse 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me. Not only did he have a father wound and a mother wound, this young king had a brother wound. His own brothers ridiculed him. His own brothers put him down, chastised him unnecessarily. He had a brother wound. And then when he went to work, he had a wound with his boss, King Saul. So he had a father wound, a mother wound, a brother wound, and a King Saul wound who a man who should have covered him and encouraged him and trained him 
was threatened by him and even tried to kill him on two occasions. One good thing in the story of David is that Jonathan, the son of King Saul, appears to be David's first authentic and real relationship where someone is giving to him and not taking from him as it, as it pertains to taking part of his soul and taking part of his psyche. Uh, Jonathan, when he meets David, sees that David is anointed to be king, even though the community does not know that Samuel did in fact anoint him. Jonathan saw in David what his own father didn't see, and that is, this is a king in front of me. So the one who is to be in line for the throne, that's Saul, I mean Jonathan because Saul is his daddy. Jonathan looks at David and takes off his robe, takes off his armor, gives him his sword, and is basically saying, I recognize God's hand on you, and you're going to be king of Israel, even though I'm next in line. And so these two had a wonderful relationship. But the sad part about it, David got hurt in that relationship too, because Saul commanded Jonathan to stay away from David. He did his best to keep the two of them apart. So now the first person who may have ever just loved him for who he was has been taken away, creating another wound in his life. Well, after David kills Goliath, Saul had made a promise to give his daughter to the person who killed Goliath. But Saul, being narcissistic, neurotic, unstable, reneged on that promise and did not give his first daughter to David as he once promised. Instead, he gave another daughter to David, Michael. And Saul knew his daughters, their temperament, their personality, everything, and he knew that she would be a snare to David. So he gives Michael to David. But then over a course of time, because David is running from Saul and he has to leave town, Michael is taken away and Saul gives Michael to another man after they had been married. And so we see now another wound. And I'm here to let you know that David's wounds manifested in sexual immorality. You see, we all have wounds. We've all been hurt. And we all cope with our pain in different ways. Some do turn to the works of the flesh sexually. Some turn to alcohol. Some turn to... Um, materialism and, and, and buying and purchasing things or taking out your pain on other people violently and, and making fun of other people because we're hurting so bad. So we all have various wounds and, and, and God is the healer who wants to heal those wounds. But until David was able to get healed of his wounds, he was very promiscuous. Sex became his coping mechanism to help deal with his pain. What's yours? What do you do? What do you go to that is not godly, that is not right, that doesn't minister to your soul, but it just continues to try to appease your flesh and you end up empty once again? Well, this thing manifested. How do I know? Because after he lost his first wife, taken away, he ended up marrying another wife named Abigail. 
And at the time when he married Abigail, he took another wife. I can't even pronounce her name. A-H-I-N-O-A-N. Can't even pronounce her name. Ahanom. I don't know. But he took two ladies, becoming a polygamist. Now, this is not an excuse for his wound. This is just a reality. And we have wounds, and we're not trying to excuse um, ways that we play out negatively with our pain. It is a reality. It is not a justification. It's real. We all have issues that we don't deal with properly. And when David became king, he multiplied wives and concubines. The Bible lists at least eight wives that David had. And when he became king, he sent the commander, or rather there was a commander with Saul's army named Abner, who wanted to cross over and join with David. And David told Abner, well, before you come to me, you got to prove your loyalty and go take my first wife from the man that she's with now. And so this uh, great warrior went and grabbed that woman and took her to David as her husband walked behind crying, saying, why are you taking my wife from me? Abner turns around and says, shut up and go back home. And that man shut up and went back home. So David was a little gangster in the way he did things. So when we study his life, we see so many things that don't always line up with what we want to believe is in terms of a fairy tale, rose-colored lens look at him because his wounds manifested in sexual immorality. And when we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to see this wound attempt to medicate itself once again when he commits adultery with Bathsheba. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the mistake of David today. But as with this series, as with this series now, I want you to hear this. Do not hear condemnation from me. Because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Conviction, yes, we all. That, that's a sign that we know Jesus, that his spirit is convincing us of our sin. But there's no condemnation. Jesus was condemned. He became a curse so that we could be blessed and forgiven. Um, and so don't hear that from me. And, and what I want you to hear through this series that we're going to be in, because there are a lot of men and women in the Bible who made mistakes. But we're not going to focus on the mistakes they made so much. We're going to focus on the grace of God that covered them and covered their mistakes. So today, I pray that you will hear the heart of God and hear my heart. 2 Samuel chapter 11, as we begin, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. If you were to go back and begin reading the earlier chapters of 2 Samuel, you would see that David has been experiencing great success, one success after another. But his success, his blessings, are going to lull him into a state of compromise and complacency. And he's going to basically put himself at a place where he's above account accountability, above being checked by other men. And when any person does that, especially a person in power, sets oneself up above others, a fall is inevitable. So he stays home. 
Verse 3, 2, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Just to insert a little bit here, the Bible doesn't say she was bathing on the roof. David was walking on the roof. She was bathing in her home, and David was being a voyeurist. And he sees her, and he looks at her. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, stop right there. That someone right there is his way of escape. That someone right there is God saying, you don't want to go down this. That someone could almost be uh, labeled as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? In other words, she belongs to someone else. Um, now, what David is about to do, he's not doing because he is sexually needy. He's doing this because he's sexually greedy. And he's trying to fill a wound. A wound. He is being selfish right now because he has a way of escape when they said she belongs to someone else. So this is God closing the door if he'll take it. But instead, verse 4, then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Something he was not thinking about as he was setting up this situation, about what the possible repercussions could be. Because usually when we're being drawn away and enticed by sin, the last thing we're doing is thinking properly. Well, we go on down to verse 26 here. This is after David tried to get Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife, but Uriah was more noble than David was. Uriah wouldn't do that, so David had to send him, set him up to be killed in battle by the sword of the Ammonites. And the Bible says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, wife number eight. And she bore him a son. But look at the last sentence. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. How could a man after God's own heart act so heartless? What this shows us is that any of us can go low at any time. Any of us. So for some reason you may think this could never happen to you. Beware, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let a person who thinks that he or she is standing take heed lest you fall. Uh, it's only by the grace of God that we haven't fallen that way. Um, so, so don't try to act like you're better than anyone if this is not your story, okay? Um, but yes, David fell and, 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 and he wrote scripture and he fell and, and he killed Goliath and he fell and he won many wars and campaigns and he fell. They had a song about him, Saul is slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands and he fell. So if he could fall, so my question is, as I, as I begin to look at this passage with new eyes, because as a young preacher, I would preach about sin. Yeah, we need to preach about sin. 
But as a young preacher, I really didn't see grace in the story. Grace comes in your life the older you get, and you realize your need for it. When you're young and, you know, full of vigor and you're preaching, you know, you're trying to get people, hey, stop, repent. But when you're older and you walk with broken folks, when you're older and you understand that you yourself walk with a limp, you see stuff in the text you've never seen before. So today I want to talk to you about the grace that's in this story. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to see the first of three points. The first point is that God graciously went to David. That's the first thing. God graciously went to David. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Stop and pause. Contextually, from the end of chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 12, we have a, a period of at least 9 to 12 months that have transpired. So David has been in this condition, this position where he's out of fellowship with his God for at least a year. How do I know that? Because by the time Nathan the prophet shows up, the baby has been born and is now being called a child. And so he's in this state of being out of fellowship for all of this time. And so he's not going to come to God. So God in grace comes to him. You ever been there before? Where you know you out in left field. Where you know you're off with God. And you're not trying to come to him. But he keeps coming to you. And he comes to you either through his word, his spirit is speaking to you. Or he may send a prophet, a pastor, come talk to you. And based on whether or not you are truly a person after God's own heart, you will either repent from the words of the prophet or you will pick up stones to kill the prophet. You tell on yourself. And as a pastor, I've seen people repent, and I've also picked up a few stones along the way, but I'm still standing by the grace of God. And I'm going to keep on going because I fear God more than trying to make the person happy that I'm called to talk to. But sometimes God will have me, and I go as a wounded healer. I go uh, knowing that a gentle tongue can break and reset a bone. I go recognizing that if you're going to restore someone, you have to be humble. Because people need to be restored. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And Nathan's task here is no small thing because David is not in his right mind. He is out of fellowship. Nathan could have been killed by David because Nathan is going to come with the word that David may not want to hear. So he's taking his life in his hand. But again, Nathan fears God more than he fears David. So he came to him and he said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. So he's going to give him a parable. And he's going to tell David a parable about sheep. Why? Because before David became this big king, what was he? So I'm going to come and hit you where you really live. God really knows who you are. I'm not impressed by all these people waiting on you, serving you, by all the, uh, uh, the crown on your head and all that. No, no, no. I remember when. So I'm going to take it back when. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. 
It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. Why? Because that's in the law. Exodus 22 verse 1. If you take somebody's lamb, you got to give back four. So this man knew the word. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel. Before the sun. So I know we look at this and we see a whole lot of consequences for a bad decision, a sin that was committed. And as the old saying goes, you can choose your sin, but you can't pick the consequences. There are always consequences. We reap what we sow, sure. But I don't want us just to see those consequences. I want us to go back and see grace. Because God loved David too much to leave him in that state. He loves you too much and me too much to leave us in a state where we're out of fellowship with him. And so God came to him through Nathan. Now, David would later write in Psalm 32 about this situation when he was out of fellowship with God before God graciously came to him. And the Bible says that David said, when I kept silent... My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You see, what he was saying basically is that he was miserable. The most miserable person is the Christian who's out of fellowship with God. You know better. You've tasted better. You've felt better. You've seen better. But the deceitfulness of sin has hardened your heart. So grace has to make the first move. After we've made a bad move. We make the bad move and we don't come. God is so gracious to come to us. Grace always comes to us first. It reminds me of Christ who came to us when we would not and could not go to him. Listen to this. This blew me away when I studied this this week. The Bible never records Jesus using the word grace. He just lived it. You're not going to find the words grace coming out of his mouth in the Gospels. But of course, Paul writes about grace and puts grace in context for all of us. 
But Jesus lived it because there are some people who will talk it but not walk it. He walked this thing out. Why? The Bible says that he was full of grace and truth. And from Jesus, according to John chapter 1, we have received grace upon grace. Grace has been lavished on us. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. What is grace? God giving us everything for nothing. What is grace? It is God's loving kindness. It is unearned, unmerited favor, goodness, and kindness. But why do we still think we earn this? In the Hebrew, the word grace in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, is the Greek word chin, which means to stoop down. To bend down, condescending favor is what chin is in the Old Testament. So when we think about grace, we think about a God who puts his chin down to stoop down, to bend down, to touch us, to reach us. Because we can't reach up and we won't reach up to him because we're rebellious. We're dead in sin. We've turned from him. But he comes to us in the form of his son who wraps himself up in flesh, comes down to earth in order to die for broken people and lift us up. It's grace. We didn't earn that. All we can do is receive that. So that when we get to heaven, won't be no boasting. Won't be no, I did this right. I, I went to school. I went to church. I went to Sunday school. No. Because if it could boast, you could boast about it, it wouldn't be a gift of grace from God. He came down. Oh, but don't forget that because I'm going to come back to that about stooping down. So God graciously went to David. Secondly, God graciously let David live. Uh, look at verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Grace. Grace. God could have killed David in the sin. He could have killed David after the sin. Wow, Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul that sins shall surely die. He could have killed him, but he didn't. And whenever God lets us live, he lets us live because there's grace and there is hope when we are alive. With the living, there is hope. So as long as I'm alive, I have grace. And as long as I'm alive, I have hope because he could have killed me. David could have had a heart attack in the middle of those relations. God let him live. And when we intentionally and willfully and rebelliously do wrong, and we don't die, because there is a sin unto death. Now, the apostle John didn't know what it was, and he's like, I don't want to know what it is, and neither do I. God is not a plaything. He does kill people. But when he doesn't kill us, when we had an attitude and, and we talk him back or we fuss and cuss and fight and steal, and when we are intentionally disobedient, he lets us live, that is grace. Because in a fit of hypocrisy, David even, even pronounced the death penalty on himself. He's like the man who took this lamb should die. Now, that's not what the law says. The law says you got to restore fourfold. But isn't it funny how the people who are usually out of fellowship with God are usually the most legalistic as it pertains to God? 
They're going to add rules on top of what God has said. Rules that they don't even keep themselves. Watch out for folk like that. These are the people that never smile, but yet they talk about God all the time. I don't want your God if you never smile. You're always frowning and telling people, mm, you can keep that God. Because if God's working in your life, there's going to be some joy and some grace, some love. Man, it's going to show on your face, man. The law which David and Bathsheba broke required that they both be stoned. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It's also found later in Deuteronomy. They should have been stoned. The fact they didn't get stoned, that's grace. The fact you didn't get stoned, that's grace. The fact that I didn't get stoned for my sin, because if you break the law at one point, you're guilty of having broke all of it. It may not have been the act of adultery, but Jesus is going to come along later and say, what about your heart? Have you looked at somebody the wrong way? Jesus says, let's go beyond the external. Let's get to where it all begins in the heart. Because some of you may walk around thinking, because I didn't do that, I'm better than you. Jesus says, well, have you ever thought about doing that? Hello, somebody. I say, Can the wall say amen for a brother up in here? My God. But Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4 says, If you, Lord, should mark or count iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So if God gave us what our sins deserve, none of us could stand. But he gave Jesus what we deserved on the cross so that we could stand. That's grace. Oh, my goodness. So when God lets you live and not die, it's just another opportunity to live for him. If he lets you live, live for him. Change your ways. Remember I talked to you about how grace stoops down. Well, there was a woman who was quote-unquote, caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Just like David, caught in adultery. But somehow when the, the Pharisees caught her, she was by herself. How do you catch somebody in adultery and you only got the woman? Smells like a setup to me. Because they were trying to test Jesus to see whether or not he would have this woman stoned based on the law. You know, again, people are heavy in law but not heavy in spirit, not heavy in love. So Jesus is like, okay, all right. Uh, they said, uh, this woman should be stoned. The Bible says that Jesus just knelt down, started writing in the sand. And they kept on talking. You know, she should die. Then the Bible says Jesus, from that stooping position, said, well, let the person who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And then he stooped back down, started writing in the sand again, and they all walked away. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Is there anyone here that condemns you? And she says, my Lord, they're all gone. And he said to her, I don't condemn you. I'm not going to give you what the law deserves. Why? Because I know a payment that's coming a little bit later. Well, I'm going to pay for everybody that breaks the law. I'm going to pay for every lawbreaker and every law that's been broken. So, so we're not pardoning without a payment. I'm going to pay for this. You ever ask somebody to pay something for, for you? Like, man, he paid for it. He says, I don't condemn you. And he told her, go now and leave your life of sin. 
I'm letting you live so that now you can live for me. And if we've done this particular sin and we haven't died, he's letting us live so that now we can live for him. And then I'm going to go to Psalm 51 with David after he had come through that season and learned about the grace of God and his salvation, the joy of it was restored. He said, and now, Lord, let me teach transgressors your ways. Because I learned a few things. So let me teach some folks so they don't have to go out like I went out. Ah. And that's proof that not only have you repented, but you've healed up well enough where you could tell someone about the wound that you inflicted on yourself, on your marriage, on your spouse, on your family. Not to brag, of course not, but just to say, but by the grace of God, I'm here. And you don't have to go out the way that I did. And, and he let me live, but that doesn't mean he's going to let you live. So when you hear the voice of the Lord, man, watch yourself. That's the remix from Pastor Chris. Thirdly and finally, God graciously went to David. He let David live, and finally, he gave David another son. Look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. Why is all this going on? Because the child that was born to them out of wedlock, this child that was born in adultery, another set of consequences was that the baby died. The baby died. David didn't die. The baby died. The baby is a Christ-like figure because the baby died in place of David, which points to a baby who was born to die in the place of us. And David at least said, you know what? I know my son is gone. He can't come to me, but one day I'm going to go to him. That's grace. There's grace everywhere if you are looking for it. And I, I'm a broken man, and I'm always looking for grace. I need grace. I need grace. I know I messed up. Can somebody tell me how I'm graced up? <laughs> I'm looking for grace, man. I, I need grace from Jesus. And those of us who receive grace, again, we should be dispensers of grace. And so David lays with his wife. She bears a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So Solomon had two names. Solomon, which means peace, shalom, peace. Then Jedidiah, loved of the Lord. So God gives him a son, a second son. Listen to this, a second chance. Grace gives us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Grace gives us another chance. God didn't have to give him another chance. Oh, wait a minute. Hmm. Yes, he did. Excuse me. Excuse me. But it wasn't based on David's works. It was based on God's word and the covenant he made with David early in chapter 7. God made an unconditional covenant with David that one of his sons would sit on the throne. And this son would be an example or a type of Jesus Christ who would sit on the throne of David as a physical descendant. And his throne would be forever. And that he would build a house for David. And this house speaks of the temple and, and heaven and all of that. So, so God made a promise, an unconditional promise, a covenant that David, one of your sons, will sit on the throne who will be an example and a type of Jesus Christ who will reign forever. 
So when David sinned, let me go back. Before David sinned, God made an unconditional covenant. Once David sinned, God kept his unconditional covenant. God keeps his covenant to us even when we don't feel like keeping it to him. He's bound by his word. And so God says, I'm going to give you a son. You don't deserve it, but isn't that grace? And, when, and not only am I going to give you a son, we're going to call his name Solomon. Peace. Why? Because you done brought so much chaos on your life. So much more chaos is coming, but in the midst of that, I'm going to give you peace, and I'm going to remind you that you are Jedediah, loved of the Lord. That's grace. And if I had time, I'd walk you over to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and you can read about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, how it starts off with Abraham, goes to Isaac, Jacob, and then works its way down to David, and then to Solomon. And then we keep on reading, from Solomon comes Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So Jesus came through a line of great dysfunction. There's prostitutes in his family tree. There are polygamists and liars and murderers in his family tree. There are adulterers in his family tree. He came from all of that to save people who are just like that. Like Paul said, this is a faithful and true saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Grace. God was good to David. God gave him peace. He stooped down. He came down. He laid his life down so that we could be forgiven. Well, today we learn that God's grace is greater than the sin of adultery. His grace is greater than the sin of adultery. So if you have committed adultery, I pray that you've asked God for his forgiveness. I pray that you've asked your spouse for their forgiveness. I pray that you've forgiven yourself. And I pray that you can go on in his grace. Ah, because God's grace comes to us first. God's grace lets us live, and grace gives us another chance. There's grace to keep us from adultery, and if we fall, there's grace to heal us after adultery. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. It's not the unconquerable sin. But like any sin, it shows us our need for grace. And once grace appears to you, grace appears through you, Titus chapter 2, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Because grace transforms us. If grace doesn't change us, we haven't encountered grace. We got some cheap imitation called grease. But you think you can just keep sliding on through doing whatever you want to do. Would you stand with me, please? We have a final song. We're just going to sing a verse or two. And I know this is, can be sensitive and private. But just sing with us. This song talks about coming to the altar. 
If there's someone here, say, Pastor, I want to pull you aside and just talk with you or one of the elders. Just pray with you, pray for us. I've been tempted to fall. And God sent you today to preach a word to say, man, woman, straighten up. Get back in line with God. Or you may say, man, I have fallen, Pastor. I'm having trouble getting my marriage back, my life back. Would you just pray with me? I'm here after church if you just want to holler. But as we sing, if you're single, if you're married, if you're young, if you're old, if you're male, if you're female, remember that your life is to be a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were placed on altars. And our hearts, we should place our hearts on the altar all the time. Say, here I am, Lord. Help me. Love me, forgive me, and strengthen me. Let's worship. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? For a drink from the well, Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious. forgiven and please forgive others forgive your father forgive your mother again we all have wounds but it's not going to help us to act out on those wounds in ways that are destructive God knows what's been done to you he knows what you've done but you're alive and with the living there is hope father God there's nobody like you Wow. Such balance of grace and truth in your son. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage, meditate on these truths this week, that we'll think about people that we know we can share this with, who all they know is what they've done wrong, and their sin is before them. But Jesus, you came and you put our sins behind your back and even cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. May we share with our loved ones and our friends about your grace and trust you to transform the heart 
of the recipient, the way you are doing with us. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You got to hug about five people before you leave. Come on, you got to hug somebody before you leave. Oh, come to me.